Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Gilda Evans, bringing you the Autism Resource Podcast. This podcast and the ARP website are your one-stop knowledge and resource space for autism and much more. I'm pleased to have Jeff Snyder as my guest today. Jeff was born in 1989 and was diagnosed with autism in 1990. He has worked to succeed in multiple areas of life, including education, long-term employment, independent living, and speaking engagements. In 2021, he became a core team leader for the Autism Tree Project Foundation in San Diego, California, and a junior board member for the Unicorn Children's Foundation in Boca Raton, Florida. His own website, Going the Distance, is his personal mission to share stories of growing up neurodiverse and offer his viewpoints on diversity, equity, and inclusion. As Jeff likes to say, everyone has a chance to make an impact, but sometimes we all need a little nudge to reach that goal. Welcome, Jeff, and thank you so much for taking the time to join me today to discuss your perspective on growing up with autism and the work that you do. Well, Gilda, it's a pleasure to, um, to, to be on here today. So to begin with, um, parents will often be concerned about certain circumstances in a school setting that their child with autism or other special needs might find disruptive. So, for example, can a special education student be excused from school assemblies or other large crowd settings? And how can a parent help their child cope with something like school safety drills? The important thing is that um, school, that large school settings are very, very bothersome to neurodiverse or other special needs students, um, particularly when it comes to school assemblies, um, school assemblies are meant to be gatherings of the of the entire school uh, community for a variety of you know events, whether it's a pep rally or or a special guest speaker or or whatnot. And a lot of and many people, many students will often ask themselves, "Why should I even go to this thing? I'm not going to be interested." And and it's important. And I think what the student needs to do is to try. And what parents need to do is, if their student, uh, if their if their child uh, is bothered by school assemblies, it should be noted in the child's IEP to be excluded from those school assemblies. And if those school assemblies are of significant importance, particularly, you know, during during your senior year of high school, for example, then maybe have maybe have the assembly be on a video feed for the um, for the child to watch, so they know what's going on. And I think, and then when it comes to school safety drills, again, it's also important. It's also included. It's also recommended to include the option to have the child be removed from the school before let's say a fire drill is to happen. It should be put in, it should be put in the IEP, the child's IEP, that the child that the child is to be taken out before a fire drill occurs because that's what happened with me. And uh, and I was I had the option I had the accommodation of being taken out of the building before they would pull the fire alarm. And 
this went on uh, when I was through uh, right through uh, kindergarten all the way through grade 12. And uh, also, and then when it comes to something like a lockdown drill, maybe have, again, you know, have the student be notified that there's going to be a lockdown drill and just have and just bring the student to his or her, you know, home base within the school, you know, their home classroom. And just, you know, and if it helps, maybe get into the hiding spot before they lock down the school. So that could be a possibility. That's a, another good possibility. And, and then uh, finally, for something like a bus evacuation drill, maybe have the student meet the driver before they do the, before they do the, uh, the drill. Because then, you know, the child or the student will know what is going on and, you know, they can, they can help, take, help take some of the edge off, some of the anxiety. Now, you said, for example, fire drill, you were bothered by it. Um, a lot of people with autism also have sensory issues and fire drills can be very loud. Was that the thing that you found most disruptive and, and annoying about it? That and also the surprise of it. I mean, I get, I get the fact that schools will try to create the element of surprise to simulate the real thing, but it's, it, it can be very helpful for a student's mental health state to have the student, to have the student be given advanced notice. And I'm and now many, many, we would all like to get advanced notice of, you know, fire drills, lockdown drills, or any type of school safety drills. But unfortunately that's not the case. And, and I think a lot of schools really don't understand that. And, you know, I mean, I was fortunate in the uh, Seekonk public school system was very, was, <clears throat> excuse me, was very accommodating to bring, to give me the option to get advance notice and go outside before they would pull the alarm. And that really helps with my um, mental health. That really helps with, you know, the, given the situation, because, because part and parcel of being on the spectrum is having sensory issues. And that is, and again, that is something that a lot of schools, you know, really don't, really don't get. And it's not just with, you know, school safety drills, but going back to school assemblies, you know, some teachers and principals may think that the student is trying to get out of it because they just simply don't want to be there. Well, there has to be a good reason for that. And the child the child or the student could have trouble communicating his or her feelings to the teacher, to the principal that they don't want to be in the school assembly because it's going to be too loud. And then also there's then, and also at, at school lunches as well. I mean, I remember when I was in middle school, you know, it was very regimented. You know, if, if the cafeteria got too loud, we would have what was known as a silent lunch. And then they would do lunch announcements um, at the end. And of course they had to, you know, they were yelling for kids to quiet down and, and it was very bothersome. And, you know, I mean, it was, uh, and, and, you know, if, and it should all be included in the, if, if the child is again, bothered by school assemblies, school safety drills, you know, lunchtime, that should all be included in the child's IP. And, if the t- 
teacher or if the teachers or the principals, you know, assume that the child is being bothered, then they need to, you know, sit the child down and just be very, very gentle with this, very gentle with the student because he or she may not really understand how to, how to say their feelings to, to a teacher or to an, to an administrator. Well, I think that's really good advice, Jeff. Now, once a child gets to the other side of this experience and is getting ready, let's say, to transition from high school into the real world, how can a parent or caregiver make this transition or help to make this transition easier for them? Well, I think the, the key factor is, and this is something that, you know, looking back, I wish I did, which is that when the child, when the student reaches um, high school, that is the perfect time for the child to start learning about, is to start and have the, help the child start preparing for the transition from high school to the real world. Because when you, be, when you go into the real world, Everything, all the routines that you had with going to school, you know, having, having set times, that's all, that, that goes all out the window. And all of a sudden you have to grow, you have to kind of adapt yourself to the real world. And I didn't get any of that training until after I got out of high school. And my, my transition from high school to the real world was let's just say it was more than more than easier said than done. But, and, and I think the key factor is that the, the key factor is to start nipping it in the bud, if you will, maybe during freshman and sophomore years, maybe have that be like volunteering, just getting the, just having the child or the student get their feet wet. And then once you cross the bridge between sophomore and junior year, then you maybe start like a part-time part-time job at like like a grocery store, or maybe even like a library, if you will, if the, if the student likes a quiet atmosphere, and then have that trend continue through junior and senior year, and during that time, maybe start teaching, maybe teaching the student about you know, survival skills like money management or, or how to, or, or how to cook your own meals. And then there's also the matter of, and if the, and if the student wants to drive, maybe have them do like, maybe have them partner with like a driver's ed school and the driver's education school in, in the child's hometown. And all these, all these survival skills and, independent living skills, they can be attained, but they have to start once the child reaches high school. Because if you wait until, until after, after the student or child graduates high school, then that transition is going to be extremely difficult. And it's going to be a nightmare for both the student, for both the child and the parent. I agree with you, Jeff. I think that starting transition planning and the kinds of experiences and training that you're talking about, I think it should start at high school and in the first year or two of high school. That's absolutely the best time to do that. 
now talking about um, resources and, and, and things to pull in to help the child with this process, other than this podcast, what other resources can a parent tap into to help find their child what they need to live on their own? And how does a parent also face that very normal fear of letting their child go and allowing them to have their independence? You know, it's funny you brought that up, Gilda, because um, I did a I did a blog a couple of um, I think it was last Friday that talks about this very exact issue because parents have a very very difficult time letting their kids go. I mean, I know my folk, my parents, as much as I love them, they I think they they in a sense are struggling to let go of me in terms of you know doing all these things, whether it's you know living on my own or you know, traveling to speak at events. I mean, they do have that tendency to, you know, they struggle to let, let, let go of that fear, which is understandably perfectly normal. I mean, all parents are going to worry. And I know they, and I have a, I have a older sister who lives in Virginia and she's a gynecologist and they, and they worry about her as well. I mean, you know, they worry about her, they worry about, um, we, we, I have two, they worry about their granddaughters. I have two nieces and they worry about them. So, I mean, it's perfect. It's perfectly normal for a parent to be afraid of what's going to happen with their child. And I think parents will often come up with ways of getting the child to, you know, think according to the parents will. And that is a very, very, um, it's, it's a very difficult, um, it's a very difficult um, scenario for both sides. And I think once, and, and there's actually some visual representations of, of parent, of parents struggling to um, let go of their kids. And one of the most famous is a episode from the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh from the 1980s. And the episode is called find her keeper. And, and it's about, rabbit adopting this baby bird named Kessie and raises it like a daughter. But when she grows into a young bird and has to fly South, he struggles with the, he struggles with, you know, letting, letting this bird that he adopted as his own, you know, grow and make her mark on the world. And I mean, the episode is on the episode is on YouTube. It's on Disney Plus for anyone who wants to watch it. But getting back to what I'm uh, talking about here, parents will. I think it's helpful that if there's like parent support groups in the community that have have their own children going through this same uh, motion, same feelings, then maybe having them join up with other parents might help them out, make the transition easier. And, 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 you know, and parents should be very lucky because a lot of, a lot of neurodiverse teenagers and adults, they may never, some of them never even get to the level of independence that they want to reach. Like, you know, you have one, like you could have one neurodiverse or disabled individual, you know, they, want to, you know, live on their own, but they can't because of their 
because of their disability or condition. Um, you you could also have you could also have an individual that wants to drive a car. I mean, and they can't because their disability prevents them from driving. I mean, like like I don't drive. That's my personal choice. But then you also have you know, and you also have you know, oh, he or she will never get a job and get a job because of their you know neurodiverse condition and i think also a lot of parents um tend to um rely more on the advice given to by by um professionals who will often say oh uh he or she will never amount to anything given their condition they'd be very lucky to have a very lucky to have a minimum wage job they'd be lucky to have a social life and i think a lot of parents will often rely and have those words in the back of their minds and that will you know spill over into the child's um transition when he or she ends up becoming an adult well as a parent i can concur that uh yes we do worry it's part of the job description (laughs) um but I, I think a lot of the things that you just suggested there are, are very good suggestions and uh, very wise words. Um, so what do you think is the most important thing for a parent or a caregiver to remember when they are raising a child with autism? Well, I think the key factor is that a lot of parents will, that parents and caregivers, um, if the child wants to try a form of independence they may not get all of the independence that they want, then it's really important to support that, that child's desires and wishes because there is a, there is something that we all want and that is to make our mark in the world. Like I'm trying to make my mark as a self-advocate and public speaker. And some of the, th- some of the, some of the dreams and desires that, that we want Sometimes they, sometimes others will have, will have, you know, their own opinions. And I think parents will, some parents may never accept the fact that their child wants to do some, that their neurodiverse child wants to do this and that, this, or, or, or this or that or whatnot. And, and I think it's really more about, spreading aware it's more about it, it's more about taking baby steps and letting that child pursue his or her dreams and many people think that you know pursuing dreams involves going to college or you know getting married or having a family or having a high paying job which is not true because you know you don't have to have any of those things to be any, to be successful anywhere in life, you know, if you just have a part time job, and you know, or if you just being, uh, if you just do what I do, which is, you know, traveling, traveling to tell your stories or share your thoughts, then that's a, that's a success in its own, in its own right. And and I think parents, I think a lot of parents, you know, they 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 have their own different opinions on what their child should or should not do. And 
that's a problem. I mean, it, it was seen in Dead Poets Society, for example. You know, the father of one of the uh, boys was dictated his child's life, and and the only way that the poor guy could escape was by killing himself. And that was, and that was an example of, you know, parents. Parents, you know, are in denial. They're, they can be in denial of their, of wanting their child to grow up and, you know, live life according to their law. But I got news for you. Children have the right to lead their own lives. And, and parents who are like the dad in Dead Poet Society, I don't have any sympathy for them. I really don't. Because, nope, no. no the, the mind of a human being does not thrive on the dictatorship of other human beings. We all want to make a difference and we cannot do that with a chain and a leash around our necks. And let me be clear. If you're not, if you're not going to let your child spread his or her wings regardless of their disability or neurodiverse condition, then you're damaging not just the child, but you're damaging yourself and you're damaging your entire family. Well, I agree with you, Jeff. Success, I think, is and should be measured on a very individual basis and should be up to the individual in terms of what their idea of success looks like. Uh Now, how can our listeners find out more about your website and the, the work and the things that you do? Uh, well, um, you can find me on um, Jeff Snyder, autism, neurodiversity, self-advocate.wordpress.com. Uh, my website name is called Going the Distance, and that is where I offer my um, speaking and volunteer services as well as uh, blogs that are done every Monday, Monday through Friday. Um, I've already done 168 blogs since I founded this website in May of 2021. And then uh, if you want to reach out to me via email, um, my email is godistance3562 at gmail.com. I am also on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, finally, I'm also a contributor to this book called This is Autism by Jessica Lightwise and Aiden Alman Cooper that is currently on Amazon.com for $19.97. And if you would like me to, if you buy yourself a copy and would like me to sign it at an, sign you your copy at, your, at a future in-person event, uh, just, just let me know and I'll be happy to sign it for you. Well, thank you, Jeff, for your time and for giving us some really great tips today. My pleasure. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast. You can find it on Apple iTunes, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other popular platforms. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always access us and other great resources on our website, www.autismresourcepodcast.com. I want to thank our listeners for spending a part of their day with us. This is the Autism Resource Podcast, and I'm Gilda Evans, 
reminding you to take care of yourself and that special person in your life.